Thank you for listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit our website, centurybaptist.org, or download the Century Baptist Church app. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Uh, thank you for, uh, for being that, for being Lord of all. I pray that, that this morning as we've gathered to worship, that those words that we've sung out of our own lungs, God, would actually be truth that we believe uh, and that we would be able to live into it. There's a lot that's going on in our world right now. Father, you know that. It's all under your control. Help us to remember that and to really, truly believe that no matter what this world uh, throws our way, whatever we're watching uh, from the sidelines take place, God, that we would truly, truly rest in the fact that you're stronger than all of it. You proved it uh, by defeating death, by defeating the grave, by defeating our sin, uh, and um, we're just asking today, Father, that, that you just continue to show us who you are and that we would live into it, that we would trust it. This time is about you, your word, what you want us to know about you, what you want us to know about ourselves and, and how they go together. So, uh, God, would you just work? Uh, help us to focus on you during this time. In your name, amen. You can have a seat. My... My stand is missing, so I have to use one of these super stands. <laughs> little, little relevant joke for the day. I'm a, I'm, I'm a little bitter right now because my, my brother-in-law, my friends that I usually go golfing with on a regular basis are uh, down at a golf tournament in Phoenix right now with the Super Bowl, and they've been sending me photos because they're such great people uh, this morning about how much they miss me. Uh, and so, yeah, whatever. Look at this thing. This is huge. I'm, I can speak extra long today because I've got a stand that can withstand it. Hey, before we jump into it, I, wanna, I want to uh, encourage you. Uh, we believe, and we, we talk about it all the time at Century, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And we've got these characteristics. You see them on the front of your, your bulletin. But uh, one of them that we truly uh, want to live into is we believe that a disciple of Jesus Christ is for their city. What that means is that we believe that God is for us, that God desires that all people would come to know Him, and one of the best ways for people who don't know Him to come to know Him is for us to come alongside people and just love on Him and to serve them. There's a great opportunity on Thursday, February 23rd to serve at the banquet, to serve a meal for people. There's a lot that takes place throughout that entire day, so uh, there are people that show up in the afternoon and, and do some food prep, and there are those that are there to help cook, and then there are those that help serve and, and clean up, and then just spend time with the people that come that are in need of a meal. And so Thursday, February 23rd is Century Baptist night to serve, and uh, there is a sign-up back at the info desk, and I would love it today if we can leave here today and those that are, that are in charge of that would know that, that we got the whole list filled up. So take uh, your family and spend a night serving people. It's a really, really great thing. And so we just want to continue to be a church that is, uh, that's for the city of Bismarck and uh, showing God's love. Um, I, this morning, I, I want to, if I haven't already, uh, I want to air some, uh, some grievances um, which between me and my wife, um, so this, this is the part where you sweat and get uncomfortable. No, uh, but here's the deal. My wife and I are really into renovation uh, shows, Taking, just watching something go from kind of being dilapidated and falling apart to uh, being fully renovated into something great. And, 
And, uh, but I tell you that there's some frustration there because my wife has discovered um, that there's this guy on YouTube that uh, for free goes and finds the worst lawns possible out there. And then he just goes up to the house and says, can I, can I just mow your lawn and can I, you know, uh, whack the weeds and scrape off the curbs and, 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 uh, and, and I'll do it for free. And people are like, oh, absolutely. And my wife loves this. And I, I like to watch it too because I like to watch the renovation. The problem is that my wife wakes up at four in the morning. And, and so uh, when I first discovered this, that she was into these things, was about four o'clock in the morning and, and I thought a helicopter was landing in our house because the volume was on, uh, I, I think it was about as high as it could go. It was just, Wah! lawnmower running. And then the guy's scraping the curb. And I got out of bed and I was like, what in the world is going on? And I walk out and she's like, you got to watch this. This is incredible. Like, watch the, the transformation that takes place, you know, on this lawn. And I'm like, you're the only person up in the world right now. Uh, and so, I've, but I've gotten, I think she was getting even with me, because for the past couple of years, uh, I'm obsessed. Uh, there's a guy on, on YouTube that uh, is renovating an old, uh, restoring an old Volkswagen bus. And it's an incredible show, and it's showing every detail, every detail. Um, the, the thing that, that kind of gets bothersome to my family is, it's a really cool story because the guy that's doing it, he, he can't speak and he can't hear. And so, which, uh, it's, it's, um, it's annoying to my family because that means that there's no talking throughout this entire video. It's just a lot of hammering on metal, you know, and sanding and scraping. And they're like, come on. There's got to be something better to watch. But for me and for my wife, we love to watch it because we like to see what it once was to all of a sudden a total restoration of what it's become. You all understand, right? HGTV is probably on all the time in your house. Uh, and uh, you, you fall in love with shows like Flip or Flop and uh, Renovation Island. Uh, we, this, we're just, we just have HGTV on almost all the time in our house. And of course, you know, there's... Uh, you know, America's first family, Chip and Joanna Gaines, that, you know, are, are, are always renovating, like, the, the, the entire city of Waco. But there's a new show that they have out. It's not a plug for it, but it just helps to set the stage this morning. It's called Fixer Upper the Castle. And they found this three-story castle in the middle of Waco, Texas, that they have been renovating, uh, that was absolutely falling apart, uh, and renovating the in, entire thing. All of this to say, that's the world's longest opener to a sermon, all of this to say uh, is, is that for the renovation to take place, it's incredible to see uh, how bad it is and then to see uh, what it can become. Uh, we, we like to watch the, the process of all that takes place, but the buildup into something fresh and new and far better than anybody really could ever imagine. We've been in Matthew chapter 12 uh, for a while now, um, and we've been observing this interaction that's been taking place between Jesus and the religious Pharisees of the day, the religious elite, their legalists, and, and constantly pressing into the people of the laws that they have to follow really in order to get God to, to bless them, for God to shine on them, for God to be happy uh, with them. Um, but the interaction, we have to always remember that the interaction that Jesus is having with the Pharisees isn't just about them, a small group of men, because everywhere that Jesus went, a crowd followed. There were a lot of people, always in the wings, hundreds, sometimes thousands. 
that were listening to him speak. And so what we're going to read today is a continuation, this conversation that Jesus is having with the Pharisees. But understand that Jesus is speaking to a much larger crowd than just this small group of religious elite. He's also speaking to a group of people that have, that have been influenced by them. They're The way that they live their lives, their religion, the way they view God and how they understand Scripture has all been influenced by the religious elite. And as we've already seen just in the first 12 chapters, Jesus has said over and over again, man, you guys got it wrong, right? You're not seeing the bigger picture. And Jesus is trying to teach them that there is more to this that they need to to understand. John chapter 6, Jesus said uh, something along the lines of, he says, I'm the bread of life, and anyone who eats of me will live forever. And, and because of the way that their minds have been trained to take absolutely everything so literal, and Jesus even said that, that you've got you've to see the bigger picture, the context of Scripture, and what God, who God is, and His characteristics to understand what it is that you've been taught. But they They couldn't understand it. So when Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, anyone who eats of me will live forever, everybody freaked out. And John chapter 6, verse 66 says that a lot of his disciples walked away from him that day. Basically because they're like, this this guy's weird. right? He's talking about eating flesh and and we don't want to have anything to do with this. Jesus is saying, you've got to really truly hear what it is that that I'm saying to you, but they, they couldn't. The, these religious leaders um, couldn't see the good that Jesus had to offer. They were blind to it. They were always looking for ways to discredit Him. We've already been told that they were looking for ways that they could arrest Him so that they could kill Him. They wanted to get rid of Him for what it is that He was proclaiming. And they first come after His disciples, remember, for this is all happening in that same day. They come after the disciples for eating some grain on, on the Sabbath. They grab some handfuls as they're walking through a field, pop it in their mouth, and they yell at the disciples for working on the Sabbath. They go into the synagogue. Jesus heals a man there in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and they freak out on Jesus. How dare you heal on the Sabbath? And they, they're just, and Jesus has to explain to them that, that his love is greater than, the, than any law that's been laid out. It wasn't work for Jesus to heal somebody. Taking care of people, loving people, should never be considered to be work. And he's trying to press this into them. Then Jesus drives the demon out of a man and gives the man back his sight and his voice and his hearing. And they get angry again with Jesus and they start telling lies about him. They say that he's... He's got a demon himself, and then we've spent the last couple of weeks talking about just Jesus trying to explain to them that it's impossible that that he's got a demon, and then trying to get them to understand who he truly is, that he's the Son of God, that everything that he does is under the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes after them for their unbelief. It's been an absolute struggle for them to understand what it is that that Jesus is saying and in today's text uh, Jesus kind of brings this conversation full circle and has to once again kind of put these Pharisees in their place and so just three verses that we're going to look at today Matthew 12 verses 43 
to 45, and if you will, let's stand together and uh, let me read this for you. Jesus says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but it finds none. So then it says, I will return to my house from which I came, and when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. That's, those are Jesus' words. You can have a seat. Uh, it ends with a real, a real punch. Just like this, it will be with, with this generation. Again, Jesus is speaking to the nation of Israel. And he's uh, got a charge against the religious leaders because they have been the ones that have been leading people astray and down the wrong path. Just a couple of points this morning as we talk about our lives, right? We read in Scripture that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is within us. Jesus is King, and He desires so deeply to dwell within our hearts, which means that we need to be people that make our homes His castle, where He's able to, to get in to do the work that needs to be done and to dwell there and to make it His home. And Jesus says, because if we don't, then we're opening ourselves up to the enemy and letting Him do the work in our lives. I like what Jesus does here. He, he's, really, he's been doing a lot of teaching, and, and it's almost as if He said, Let, let's, let's get back to actually what is important here. Remember the guy just a few minutes ago that I drove a demon out of? That, that you got upset about and said that I was working for, for the devil. He, he says, let's get back to that. I love what Jesus does. He says, I care more about people and their lives and their hearts than I do anything else. So he, he, he's using this guy as an illustration to teach the nation of Israel, to teach these religious elite about where their hearts are at. And the, how their focus is off. You we were talking about law and signs and getting upset, but can we get back to the fact that it's the heart of the person that truly matters? This is a guy whose life has been changed forever because the power of the Spirit has gone into him and driven out the demon. And Jesus says, so, so that... Let me just use that as an illustration that if something's going to leave, if something else doesn't come and fill it, it's just going to leave room for the old ways to come back in and to take over. Jesus says, when the unclean spirit leaves a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but it can find nowhere to go. It was a teaching of the day. It was a belief based on just understanding of Scripture that, that the wilderness was actually the home of Satan and, and his, uh, his angels, demons. That the evil spirits uh, dwelled out, would dwell, dwell out in the, the dry places. Uh, we, we see that uh, Jesus goes out to be tempted. Where does he go? He goes out into the desert, out into the the wilderness, and that's where Satan comes after him. Isaiah 13, Isaiah is talking about the judgment that is coming 
to evil Babylon. And he said, the Lord is going to come and he's going to desolate the nation of Babylon. And no one is going to be able to live there. It's just going to be left only, Isaiah says, only for the home of of howling creatures or howling spirits. We fast forward then to the book of Revelation and it talks about the fall of Babylon. And Revelation 18.2 says, Fallen is Babylon the great, who's now become the dwelling place for demons, just a haunt for unclean spirits. Jesus knows this and He proclaims this and the people of Israel believe this, that uh, you don't want to go out into the wilderness because that's where, really where evil is lurking and looking for a home, looking for something to attach itself to. Satan, his job, right, we're told, Peter tells us, is that he is constantly roaming this earth looking for who he will devour. That's his job, to make lives miserable. He is the master of confusion and chaos. And that's exactly what he is and his army are up to. They are the reason, right, that we see the evil in the world. There is a supernatural war that is taking place. And we have to understand that, that, that our lives are, are constantly vulnerable. If we don't know Christ, we open ourselves up to whatever it is that the enemy wants to do. And that's all he wants to do. Keep us from Christ. Get us doubting ourselves. Get us doubting Jesus and passionately following after the things of this world. And, and so Jesus says when a spirit is driven out of somebody, it goes out into the waterless places, out into the wilderness, but it's not satisfied there. It's always going to be seeking someone to come and who's going to welcome them really into their life to let them do the work. We read about it when Jesus went to the Gerasenes. Remember he sailed over? Went among the tombs and he found the man who was possessed by a legion, thousands of demons. And they come to Jesus and they say, we know you're going to drive us out, but what do they say? Just, just dr- can you drive us into something? Right? Just don't drive us away into nothingness. We, we have to do our work. And so Jesus, what? He drives them into, casts them out into a, a herd of, of pigs. Jesus says in this, it's really a, a parable, this teaching, he says, I'm, the, the, the demon then says, the evil spirit says, I want to go back to the home that I was cast out of. Right? I'm, not, I'm not satisfied being purposeless. i got to find a, a home, and I want to go back to the one that, that I was in. I was happy there. And, and Jesus says that the evil spirit goes back, arrives, and finds the house empty, cleaned out, swept and put in order. Now, don't misread this. This, is, this does not mean that this is a life that is following after Christ. What it means is that it's, all it's done is a little bit of tidying up and, and is now ready for whatever is going to come next. And it says that the evil spirit shows up and finds everything in order for him to move right back in, but not just him, but he and all of his buddies, right, to move in and make this life a frat house, right, for, for evil. Um, be, because what has happened is that, is that this isn't a life that is understood that, that in order uh, to, to, to pursue God, that 
You have to get rid of the old tenant, but you have to invite a new one in. And if the new one dwells there, then the old one comes back and says, oh, oh I, guess, I, I guess I'm not welcome here uh, anymore. Jesus is really only using the, this former demon-possessed man as an illustration for this parable. And he's really talking about the nation of Israel um, during his time. The spiritual emphasis that, that they have had on, really, as we've talked about, uh, all you're doing, Jesus is saying, as Pharisees, is, is you're just tidying up your lives. You're just straightening up. You're just doing a little bit of organization to have, to have the, the look as though you've got your life uh, together. We find it over and over again as Jesus continues to, to rub up against their poor theology. Uh, he calls them out for the pride that they have in their cleanliness, in their holiness. He said, you, you guys do nothing but polish the outside of the cups but you don't do anything about the inside. You make the cup look desirable, but on the inside it's filthy. He calls them whitewashed tombs. What good is it that you go out and you, you, you spit shine graves? Right? It just still leads to, to death. You've got to take care of what's going on uh, on the inside. Jesus says the owner of the house hasn't sold itself to the new tenant, right? hasn't, hasn't given his heart over. Yes, the evil spirit may have left. Yes, he may have made the decision, I don't want to be bad anymore. But if he doesn't allow the good to come in and dwell within, then it says then evil's just going to come back. Uh, really, he says, goes and finds seven other demons. It's this idea of a fullness it's going to come back in, in full terror to destroy a, a life. But so often, we have this same mindset, this idea of being good, morality. You know what? I, I just need to stop doing what I'm doing. Right? I, I, need to, I need to not fall into temptation. Uh, I need to get my life in order. I need to find myself and to, to kind of straighten everything up. I need to think differently. It's always about I. And, and when, we, when we move into that mode, if the enemy is constantly looking for a place that he can dwell, he's going to look for people that think that it's under their own power that they're going to be able to change their lives. And he's going to lie and he's going to deceive and he's going to consume us. 2 Timothy 2.21 says that, that our lives are vessels to be used for honorable use, which we understand. God wants us to serve him. But Paul says in 2 Timothy, to be ready to be used by the master of the house ready for every good work. So cleanse yourself from the dishonorable, he says. What that call that Paul has for each and every believer is to put ourselves before the Father and say, 
I want you to do something great in me. I want you to do something great through me. I want you to come in and I want you to cleanse this, this filthy soul, this heart that I have that wants so desperately to fall more and more in love with the world. But I want to fall more and more in love with you. So, so would you come in and would you do a great work? But, but we so often, we have a hard time believing that, that God wants us in our mess that he wants to come in and say, look, I see that you're a disaster, but you would not believe the work that I can do. The things that I can do to take you from, from that nasty, filthy, overgrown lawn, and for free, I'm going to come in and I'm going to turn it into something absolutely beautiful. You see, so many people think that, that they have to attempt to do the work first. I've got I to make things shiny uh, to make God want to actually come in and, and, and be a part of my life. God says, you can't do that. You don't have what it takes. There's nothing you can do to make your life good enough to make me all of a sudden go, oh, now you've got my attention. We already have his attention. He says, I want to come in. I want to I renovate who you are. What I need you to do is to invite me in. I want you to write the letter, tell me the story about why it is that, that you need me to come and do what it is that, that I do. According to, to Jesus, just a heart, a heart of morality, one, one that, that is seeking to do better is Jesus is just a playground for the enemy and his buddies. If he sees a life that's empty, a heart that's open and vulnerable to anything. It's going to be worse than it was before because the father of lies is going to move right in. And Jesus says, and so will it be with this generation. In other words, you're, you've all taken your eyes off of the truth and you've opened yourself up to think that it's all about you, that, that, that you do the work. And the enemy is going to have a heyday with that. Yes, we've got to get rid of the old. Yes, we've got to make the decision. I don't want to live this life. I don't want to follow after the evil things of this world. But that's not enough. Repentance is not enough. There's also the invitation that needs to take place. God, I don't want this life anymore. God, I want you to be my life. Out with the old and in with the new. And Jesus just... Like in most of his parables, we're about to move into a really big section of Jesus' parables, and he very rarely ever gives an explanation for them. That's kind of the teaching of the day. Is, I'm going to leave you with something, and now, now go and ponder it and think about it and talk about it and see what it is, that, what truth might rise from it. He doesn't give a solution for this. He just ends with, so shall it be with this evil generation, but... He doesn't need to give a solution for this because he's already spent an endless amount of time explaining to them what the solution is. It's him. Jesus is the solution to, to a life that is free from temptation and the struggle that the enemy wants us to see each and every day, the problems that he wants us to have. It's the entire point of this parable that he's saying. He said, keep me out. Keep me out of your life. 
And all that you are doing is opening a door for the enemy to come in and, and dwell. Jesus says, just like it will be with a spirit-ridden man, it's going to be with you. They had seen him cast out a demon. They'd seen the power of God at work. They'd seen Jesus stand up to all of their accusations. They'd seen him work in a mighty, mighty way to prove that the Spirit of God was at work within him. And he'd made it very plain to them that he was greater than any of their greatest heroes that they had of times past throughout history. They had witnessed God's divine power. And he said, and you are trying to live lives under your own power and they are empty because you have not filled your life with what is good. Not good works, but me. Here I am. You've been witness to it. You've seen it. And you continue to reject me. So there's nothing before you then but destruction. Well, what's the answer? The answer is an absolute makeover, right? Extreme. The answer is to put that home into the hands of the only one who's got what it takes to turn it into something beautiful and to make all things new again. The one that when the old tenant comes back and, and sees who's there, says, I'm, I'm not touching this. I'm, I'm out of here. But it's got to come from us surrendering fully, believing that even though we are not worthy of Christ dwelling within us, Him dwelling within us makes us worthy. His love for us makes us worthy. His death on the cross and defeating the grave allows us the opportunity to live the life that we are designed to live. It's all a work of Christ. And it's a call to each and every person to, yes, throw away the old ways and make the decision. I don't, I don't want that anymore. But I also know we can admit that, that I don't have the power to keep away from that stuff. The enemy's going to keep on hounding. He makes, he's a terrible neighbor. He's loud and he's obnoxious and he wants to ruin our lives and distract us from the one that dwells within. And the only way that we can overcome it is to allow Christ to have total and complete control over every nook and cranny of our lives and admit this life is not my own anymore. It was bought with a price and it's him. We give him the key and we give him permission to go into every nook and cranny of our heart. And renovate all of it by claiming it as his own. Romans 6 says that, that if we make the decision to die to self and to die to sin, then we've got to stop believing that we have to live into it. That we are, we have to stop believing that we're horrible people, that what Christ has done is has redeemed us in his great grace and his mercy and he now calls us to a new way of life, His way, under His power. But the old self gets crucified with Christ. And we, need get, we get the permission to understand that we're no longer slaves to sin. Paul says that, Romans chapter 6. We can tell evil to go away, and we can tell the power of the enemy that it no longer has dominion over us. 
because we're now alive in Christ. And so Paul says, so your role, present yourself to God, your mind, your heart, your hands, and your feet to be used as instruments of righteousness. We get it backwards. We say, I want to be used. I'm going I'm to become an instrument of righteousness, thinking that we can work it up. I'm going to do good things. Then God's going to applaud me. And, and he says, no, no, no. What I want you to do is just to acknowledge that you can't do this on your own, that you're lost without me, and that you invite me in and you let me rule your life, and then you give me all of it. And then you watch what I'm going to do with you, with your hands and your feet and your voice and your heart and your mind, because you now, when you have Christ in your life, you have that same spirit that he drove demons out with that he preached boldly with, that he conquered the grave with. And he says, that's the life that I want you to live, one that's under my power, not your own. We're called to to put our trust in the one who, who knows how to do life best. It's been said that there's a terrible persistence in wickedness. We know it. We're bombarded by it every day. The enemy just wants to knock us down. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can ever find a cure for this? What our heart needs, it it gets pushed at, the temptation of, of evil. And what our heart needs is an absolute renovation, one that pursues and wants to pursue and is passionate about the good. Christ Himself, our heart needs a new loyalty because we know it. No matter what happens in our lives, we are wired to be worshipers. That's what God has has placed within us, a desire to worship. It's just that the enemy comes along and tells us what it is that, that we should worship to keep us from the one who actually deserves it. Paul says in Romans 8, But there's no longer any condemnation for those that are in Jesus. Righteousness is now fulfilled in us because we now walk according to the Spirit. You do not have to submit to temptation. You don't have to feel beat up when when wickedness comes your way. You walk in the Spirit of Christ because He dwells within you and you are safe within his castle, if he's on the throne. The same spirit that had power over the enemy and healed illnesses now dwells within you. Paul says, Romans 8.15, and you didn't receive this spirit to fall back into the old ways. You didn't receive this spirit to fall back into fear, but you received this spirit as proof that you are a child of God. You receive this Spirit as proof that, that He now dwells within you. Do you believe that? That, that? that the Spirit that dwells within you has given you a whole new identity, a whole new mindset, a whole new focus on life. That it's no longer about what is it that I can do for, to feed myself or what is it that I can do to try and please God. But now it's, I'm a beloved child of God 
called by Him to live into His great name and to make an impact on this world for what it is that He's done for me and He's going to empower me to do it. Uh, I love, uh, I was reading an article, an interview with uh, Joanna Gaines while they were working on this castle. She says, with every project that I take on, I'm always reminded of just how essential the discipline is to look past the facade of what seems impossible beyond the blemishes and the imperfections that might crowd my first glance. And I have to remind myself that there is beauty to be found deep within, even a musty old stone house. I have to consciously see past the inevitable failures and insurmountable process of getting the job done, the process of doing And almost every day I have to choose to look beyond the imperfect and the incomplete toward the goal achieved or the dream that we would like to see realized. But not only as a designer. She says, this shift in perspective has also become transformative for me in every area of my life. Resolving to look beyond the surface of things. Better or worse, past the messiness, the rough around edges, parts of our lives, and discover how we are truly diamonds in the rough. Far too many of us are focused on what we were. We keep falling back into the old ways. We keep letting the enemy remind us of of what uh, our heart looked like and say, don't you miss it? Don't you want it to be that way? Ephesians 3, Paul explains the gospel in just this beautiful way, the good news of Christ's miraculous power. As Joanna is talking about a house, she said you got to look past what seems to be the impossible. And you have to look at what it can become. You've got to see that vision. You've got to see that dream. And then you put it to work and you watch it get realized and come to fruition. Paul really says the same thing in Ephesians 3. He says it's Christ's miraculous power. He does the impossible and He cleanses our hearts of unrighteousness. And then He says in verse 14, My prayer is that every person would recognize that God would give them the strength and power of the Holy Spirit to their inner beings so that Christ would be allowed to dwell deep in your hearts. That you would be, and these are my words, fully renovated. Paul says, brought down to the roots and regrown. And I would say, brought down to the foundation that is no longer built on self, but it's built on Christ and Christ alone. To be rooted and grounded in His love so you could truly know the breadth and length and width and height of the love of Christ and be filled to the fullness of God. The question for us today is just that. Have have I given Christ full permission to fully renovate every part of my life. Because as Jesus says, if if it's left open, the enemy is going to move right in and he is a terrible tenant. Jesus is king. Let him be. Give him all of yourself. And then you watch all that he's going to do with your life. Let's pray. Father, this morning we give you praise. That, that you would even care about us, Father. That you love us. That you desire to be in a relationship with us so deeply that you sacrifice your own Son. 
Jesus, this great love that you have for the Father, that you would humbly submit in such a way that you would say, I'll go, I'll do what it is that needs to be done. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, live the life of perfection that we can't. Boldly went to the cross, gave up your life, and then defeated the grave. Jesus, would you do that with our hearts today? Would you, would you dwell deep within? Would you conquer the death that wants the win? Would you bind the enemy out of each and every life that is here today and in full surrender to you, that we would just say, Jesus, here's the keys. Bring in your crew. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do a mighty work in our hearts. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.